Welcome to Walk in the Truth Podcast. Have you ever looked back in time and considered how certain defining moments have shaped your life and future? Today, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, looks at the importance of defining moments and how we can recognize what God is saying through them. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Malachi, maybe table of contents and then Malachi, if you don't know where that is. The very last book in the Old Testament, just before Matthew. So turn to Matthew, go left if you want to. Malachi chapter 3 today. The title of the message is A Moment of Amazement. And there really are some amazing things about this text that we're going to talk about. But they're amazing when it comes to application, how you apply this, and the amazement factor in your life is going to be very, very real. But before I dive into that, let me share with you, next week is the last Defining Moments message. We've been in that all summer. They've been very personal. They've been very much uh, application-oriented. Here's what can happen when you have defining moments in life with God. And I want to encourage you not to miss next week because it's going to be about the defining moment that every person in this room should have, at least one of. One defining moment with God, what it looks like, and how it changes everything. We're going to talk about that uh, next Sunday morning. And then the week after that, August 21st, we're getting into a brand new series called Origins from the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And, uh, of course, we'll talk about everything from the fact that uh, Genesis 1-1, the truth of it, everybody in this room probably knows what Genesis 1-1 says without looking it up. Say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. See, you're already there. You're already prepared, prepared for the 21st. But literally, every question culture is asking and answering wrong, the answers are found in the book of Genesis. And we're going to go back and look at origins and uh, take some time to talk about those key questions that everyone needs to know the answers to. But today, a moment of amazement. Would you please stand with me as I read Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. God is using the prophet Malachi to talk to his people during a time when they're far from God. And this prophet is coming with a message from God about how they've wandered away. And part of the overriding theme of Malachi is return to me, return to me. You see it repeatedly all the way through this book. But chapter 3, beginning verse 7, repeats that and then moves into an area where God wants his people to return to him. So here's what it says in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. By the way, that's the way God works. Always, always. If you return to God, he will return to you. When you're far from God, God has not left. You left. And he says, return to me. But then the question they have is, but you say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The answer is in tithes and offerings. And you are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. The only time in the Bible where God says, I challenge you to try me out, test me. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, that is, prematurely, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord 
of hosts. Let me just tell you, this can be a life-changing message for you in a defining moment. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you give us all kinds of opportunities to return to you in, in every aspect of our life. And today, I pray that we can return to you and have defining moments that change the way we do things in the future. Father, thank you that you love us enough to knock on our door, to convict our hearts, to speak to us about things like this. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. So I've got some goals for my message today, and, and here's what those goals are. First of all, I want you to understand what the Scripture says about giving. That's going to be a big piece of what happens today. I want you to understand what it says about giving. Number two, I want you to learn generosity and joy. You know, sometimes people don't realize those two things work together, that you can be generous and have joy at the same time. Sometimes we think that when we give something away, there can't be any joy in that, but that's simply not true. And thirdly, I want you to realize what true treasure is. True treasure is not how much we have, but true treasure is about where we stand with God and our relationship with Him. Then number four, to see God provide in unexpected ways. I want you to be able to see that God can do that above and beyond what you can ask or think or imagine. God can provide for you in unexpected ways, and I want you to see that today. Now, I'm going to speak about a date in past history, almost immediate past history for a moment. February 27, 2005. Anybody know where you lived and where you attended church in 2005? Many of you attended here. And this is when this church began to watch God do some amazing things financially. Literally, that date is a defining moment in our church life. Even though I wasn't here, I know it was a defining moment in our church life. So here's part of the backstory. After a breach in leadership, which led to several resignations of pastors in this church, this church found itself $6.3 million in debt and no repayment plan and no reserves to speak of asking the question, what will we do? Bill Anderson was called to be the interim pastor in those days as part of the answer of what's next. And on that date, February 27, 2005, Bill stood in front of the congregation in this room and he preached a message. And that message was anointed by God. I saw it later on by videotape. And I, I'm telling you, I saw in a moment, during a particular moment of that message where it just seemed like the Spirit of God just grabbed Bill Anderson and made him a prophet in this church. And basically what he said was, he said, this mountain of debt must be moved. This mountain of debt must be dealt away with. And with that, we began to see what is now called the miracle at First Eulis. Debt was beginning to be paid off week by week by people's generosity. Now I was called about halfway into the process of this debt repayment, just about a year and a half after Bill Anderson made that statement. And by July of 2007, I came in 06, but in July of 2007, just 28 months later, this church had paid off all of its debts and were debt-free from that day on. You want to just praise the Lord for that? It was really an amazing moment. It was an incredible, an incredible time. But the funny thing about it is, once the debt was paid off, and once we burned the note on the stage, people kept giving. I mean, that's the funny thing. What do you do when the week after the debt's been repaid, you have $300,000 given towards debt repayment, but it's already been repaid? 
And then the next week, another 250,000. And then next week, another 185,000. And then next week, another quarter of a million dollars. And before long, we were, we were holding a million dollars in our hands saying, where is this supposed to go? Well, for the next 10 years, that happened and kept happening. And over the next 10 years, not weeks, but 10 years, we funded just about everything that has to do with ministry. We completed a Bible translation in Mandarin Chinese before the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and distributed that to thousands and millions of people that came from around the world to that place. We began to plant churches. We planted several churches with those monies. We also began to support missions in a huge way. Kids Beach Club, Career Solution. Six Stones was begun the year after that. And we just began to pour money into this community and feed people and help people. And now fast forward to 2020 and 2021 after having completed a $20 million building after all those things I just described. And this church is still debt free as a result of that. Praise the Lord. That doesn't happen very often. Our auditor last year, who we are audited every year, by the way, and he said, I've never given a higher rating to a church for the way they do their finances. And he said, I never hear of stories like this, but what's happening is unique in this church and Cross City is to be commended, but God has obviously blessed this church in a huge way. These were all defining moments and a string of defining moments for our church financially. So I'm not just here to tell you about history. I'm here to tell you about the foundation of how we view giving and money that allowed God to bless this church in such a huge way. Let me define it for you in a summary. Scripture teaches that we give the first tenth of all we receive to God and then listen to him regarding the rest. Let me read that again. Scripture teaches that we give the first tenth of all we receive to God and then listen to him regarding the rest. Now, when you get into this text, you're going to find that that's what God said to Israel when it says that he invites them to come back and walk with him because they have been ignoring that. They've been disobeying that, and it's affected them in a huge way. And this passage is going to walk us through what God wants for us and what God wants from us. What God wants for us and what God wants from us. You know, often when we think about giving and any command of the Bible to give, we think, oh, God just wants that from us. But I've got to tell you today, God does not need your money. He does not need mine. God is able to provide without our money. But he wants something for you that's bigger than what you could ever give to him. And yet giving and generosity is part of how God brings that which he wants for you to you. So the scripture tells us what God wants for us in this text right here. And I want to walk you through it. First of all, God wants us to experience his presence. That's where the text began. Look back at what it says in verse 7. Return to me and I will return to you. So the message begins with an invitation. Return to me. You know, all the way through the Bible, God is giving us those invitations to come to him, to walk with him, to return to him. You know, I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and I see these return and these come to me kind of invitations. The whole Bible is an invitation. But if you would open the book of Genesis, you can't get past Genesis 3 before you see God coming to find Adam and Eve who have sinned against God and who are now separated from God. And God comes into the garden and says, where are you? Come to me. 
And he takes care to cover their sin and they can fellowship with God. Again, he's always wanting to come to us and us to come to him. One of my favorite prophets is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says this, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That's an invitation to salvation. But all the way through the Bible, that come to me is there. Jesus said it in, uh, in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Get all the way back to the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Very last chapter of the Bible. The Bible says this. There's a verse there that says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let all who thirst of the water of life come. The invitation to God is always, you come, you return to me because I'll be there when you get there. And when you come back to me, you'll see things happen that could never happen otherwise. So we start this message by just reminding you that God wants us to experience his presence. But secondly, this text tells us that God wants us to see his faithfulness. Test me now in this. There's nothing else in the scripture like this. Nowhere else does God make this kind of challenge or make this kind of promise. Test me now and see if I won't open the windows of heaven for you. Now what was happening back in Malachi's day is that the people forgot God's faithfulness. That's so easy to do. It's easy to forget all that God has done for us. And so they're living on their own. And it's not working out very well. And what's more, because of their disobedience, things were getting worse in their lives, and they're getting a little bit desperate. So God sends the prophet and says, here's the problem. You're, you've walked away from God. And listen, I've got to tell you this. And when you walk away from God, it will never go right. It may feel right for a little while, but only a little while. And as you get further and further away from God, you'll see what that distance is like. And you'll begin to hear what the Spirit says to you. Come, return to me. I'll return to you. You always want God to be in your life. Trust me, you don't ever want to walk away from God. But when you come back to God, as Malachi said, you're going to see his faithfulness. Test me now in this. See if I won't open the windows of heaven. So God wants us to see his direct provision unexplained by anything else. That's what our church experience. How can a church of $6.3 million in debt pay that off in 28 months in addition to securing all their budget needs? And then how can they keep on going for the next 10 years and pour money into missions and Bible translations and feeding the community and loving people around us in the name of you? How can they do that without God opening the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that can't be received? I mean, it doesn't happen apart from God's power, does it? So that's what God is telling people in Malachi's day. Now, we all know that God provides in a number of ways. Someone might say, well, God provides for me through my job, or he provides for me through my ability to do certain things, my strength to do hard work, my wisdom to be able to figure systems out, whatever it might be. But let me just tell you, if God didn't give you the strength that you have, you couldn't do anything. If God didn't give you the ability to think that you have, you couldn't do anything. All the way through Scripture, the Bible calls God the God who gives us the ability to make a living, to make wealth. And we couldn't have that apart from His power and His strength. Everything we have, He gives to us. It's always amazing to me that people that pray so hard for a job 
and believe God opened the doors for it and thank God when they get that job, forget to give to him when the paychecks come. All of a sudden they forgot who gave them the strength or the wisdom. They forgot how God opened those doors. But that was happening in Malachi's day. Crops would come out of the ground, not like they wanted, but they were still, they were still having crops. They were still having fruit, but they weren't giving thanks to God. And now they're hurting. And God says, return to me and return to me in your giving. Let me just tell you, giving is not a mathematical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Because it doesn't always add up. When we bring our tithes to God and we give the first tenth of our income, we don't see how it's all going to add up in our budget. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that if you can't figure it out mathematically, that's not the end of the game. God will make it happen and make it work through his extra provision after we have given to him. And I've got story after story under my belt of how that's happening in my own life. And I am thrilled to be able to tell you some of those stories. I remember a few years ago talking to a couple, a young couple in the church I pastored at the time. And they had incredible financial challenges. And uh, they knew the practice of giving and tithing to the Lord, but they were not doing it at that time. And actually their CPA advised against it. They'd gone to get some advice. They needed to get out of debt. They needed to retire certain loans that they had taken out. And uh, they said, in all this, we still want to be faithful and give to our church, give to God. And the CPA said, look, I take my professional reputation on this. You cannot give to your church and still get out of financial trouble. And uh, they ignored his advice, began giving to God. And they came back a year or two later, debt-free. And uh, the guy said, look, I don't see how that happened. And they said, well, your professional advice isn't worth as much as you think it is. Because God supplied for us above and beyond what we could even imagine that he was going to provide. And that's how this principle, spiritually speaking, works mathematically. It doesn't add up to those that only use a calculator. It adds up to those that are trusting in God and seeing him provide in an amazing way. Now, my wife and I were talking about this this last week, and, and she brought up a, a memory that I have. I remember a day when we had a certain bill that we had. It was just under $200. And this was like 35 years ago, something like that, a long time ago. I don't know how much $200 is adjusted for inflation, but it's probably $500 comparable bill. So it's a pretty sizable bill, right? And, uh, and I also knew we had a financial commitment to our church, and it was kind of down to the choice. Am I going to write the check to the church? Am I going to write the check to this bill? What are we going to do? We prayed about it, thought about it, said, all right. The bill has to be paid, but we believe that the Lord needs to be trusted. So he wrote the check to the church. The next day, the next day, we got an envelope in the mail from a company I'd never heard of before. Turns out that we had done some business with this company in the past, and it was an insurance company, and I had a reimbursement check coming back from them. And you want to guess what the amount is? Exactly what I wrote the check for to the dollar the day before. And I looked at the heading on the check and the uh, return address on the envelope, and I held it up to Kim, and I said, have you ever heard of this company before? She said, I've never heard of it before, and the name of it was Sovereign Life Insurance Company. <laughs> I still don't know if there's an insurance company by that name, but I know the check cleared, and it went, went in my account just fine. Now, that was before Google, so I didn't have a chance to Google it, right? So, bottom line is, God showed us. He's faithful. He's able to do above and beyond what we can even ask and think. But here's a story I can't help but tell. 
because this story is just incredible. I still have evidence of this in my home today. I was pastoring a church in Irving, Texas, and uh, we were conspiring together to remove all the debt of that church. Every church I've ever gone to, when I went as pastor, had debt, and when I left, was debt-free, and that was always an important thing for me to be able to lead a church that way. So this church was in debt, and we had committed to helping pay it off, and uh, it took a sizable commitment on our part, and the bottom line is I needed new clothes at the time, and I needed, in particular, suits. Do y'all remember when preachers had to wear suits? Do y'all remember, remember what suits are, right? <laughs> Anybody have a three-piece suit they wear anymore at all? Raise your hand if you have a three-piece suit. I, I don't think many of you do. Oh, there's a few of your hands. I see, sir, that you don't have that on today, though, right? <laughs> and there was a day when that's the kind of clothing I wore on Sunday morning. I always had a suit on. I always had a tie on, you know, the slacks that are baggy and all that stuff. You know, I've had them all. But I was uh, needing new clothes, and uh, we were giving to our church and just didn't have enough and, uh, to get new clothes. And I remember a pastor friend of mine called me one day, and he said, John, if you're ever coming through my church in Tennessee where he pastored, he said, I've got a few suits for you. And my friend's name was Wayne Barber. Wayne was about 6'6", just a little bit taller than me, and over the previous year or two had gained a lot of weight, eating out, I guess, fried chicken dinners after church on Sunday morning. He outgrew his clothes and had to buy new clothes. So he said, I've got some suits. They're actually tailor-made suits, and I can't wear them anymore. I'd like to give them to you. He said, save some space in your car when you come by. So we went on vacation, my wife and I, and we drove a Suburban in those days. We had six kids all at home, and so those six kids filled the back two seats, as you know. But we had a storage space behind that, and I made sure that on the clothes rack there was about that much room for the suits he was going to give me. And after church, I met with Wayne. He said, pull your car around here where mine is, and uh, I'll give you these suits. And so that's what happened. And I opened up the, the back of the Suburban. He handed me about three or four suits, and I put them in there, and I closed the door. He said, no, no, I'm not through yet. So I opened it back up, and he gave me three or four more suits, and I put them in there and closed the door. He said, John, leave the door open. I've got a lot of clothes to give you. So he started giving me more and more suits. Now, these are tailor-made suits that I never would have paid for that much money for at all. He kept giving them to me. He kept giving them to me. And I kept stuffing them in the back of that Suburban. And after a while, I didn't worry about whether they were wrinkled or not. I was just stuffing them in right and left, literally. I even considered leaving a couple of my kids behind so I could take those suits with me because it was that big of a deal. Well, we drove all day that day after that. And I was, I was uh, just amazed at how much he gave me. And I didn't even know how many suits, how many pants, how many shirts. I didn't even know. And so when we got to the hotel that night, I thought, I'm going to count them all. I'm going to get them all out. And I'm going to put them on this big old clothes rack that's in our closet of our, of our motel. And it had a big, thick wooden dowel about that big around. I thought, this will hold. And so I started getting them out, started counting them secretly in my mind, going through a calculator, thinking, how much are these worth? And they were worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And they all fit me perfectly. And that night, Kim and I went to bed, and we were thanking the Lord for that. We went to bed. In the middle of the night, we heard a boom. And Kim woke me up, and she said, look at that closet rod. And it had broken in the middle of the night. And all those clothes were on the ground. And the second I saw that, I thought of this passage Test me now in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing that you cannot receive. And literally, that closet could not hold those clothes. And I thank the Lord for that clearly evident way of providing for me. You guys, praise the Lord a little bit with me because I still have a suit of those in my closet.
God's able to do things like that and you just can't watch things happen like that in your life over and over without realizing, hey, this really happens. God really does provide in surprising ways, unusual ways that we would never have trusted him for. It doesn't add up when we give away our money or our offerings or our tithes, but it does add up in life. We can't see it mathematically on a, on a calculator, but we can see it in real life. God wants you to see that he can do that. But God also wants to give us his protection. That's the next thing this text says. He says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. It's an agricultural statement. What God is saying is I'll keep what destroys your plants and your fruits away. It's a statement of the natural breakdown of things, but also an inference there is a definite enemy that works to rob and kill and destroy the things that we have or the things that we are. You know what John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to rob and still kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now this is not prosperity teaching at all. This is all about God taking care of his children in a way that only God can. But the curse of earth and the curse of sin and the curse of the enemy have open season on us without God's protection. You know that's true. You know, that's true when bad things happen and you don't seem to have protection for it sometimes. When I was a young pastor, I pastored in Oklahoma City area. And there was a man that drove in from maybe 30 miles outside of town where he had a large farm. His name was Orla Ratliff. And he would tell stories. He told stories about going out to the fields with a diaper in one pocket and a diaper in another back pocket and take his grandson out there with him and be out there all day, change as many diapers as he needed to and come back. He would tell these folk stories about working hard and trusting God for the fruit to come out of the ground and the corn to come out of the ground, etc. And he made this statement one time when we were talking about this subject about the devourer. He said, you know, I need God to rebuke the devourer on my farm. I said, what do you mean, Orla? He said, well, the Hessian fly, the green bug, and the grasshopper, I can't keep them off my plants. Only God can hold them back. And I said, Orla, really? You pray that so that your fruit and your, your crops can, can make it? He said, I absolutely do. And he said, I've seen God hold those things back just so I can have a harvest. He said, it's amazing how that works. And he said, Pastor, that's what Malachi's talking about. I said, it sure is, isn't it? An agricultural illustration. The truth is, God really, really does do that. He really does have a supernatural way of intervening for us. Just read your Bible. Remember when he protected Israel for 40 years in the desert and they didn't have any food or any water and manna came down from where? Where did it come down from? Heaven. Water came out of the rock. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 5, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandal has not worn out on your foot. Anybody in this room have shoes that are 40 years old? Would you raise your hand? I promise you no woman will raise her hand. <laughs> the truth is, only God can make shoes last 40 years. Only God can make a robe or clothing last 40 years. And that's what this says. It basically says that God will rebuke the devourer. Only God can keep people from going hungry and help them when nothing else is around. What about in the Gospels? When Jesus is teaching these multitudes of people and they're hungry and the only thing they have are two fish and, 
and some little loaves of bread that a little boy has. And Jesus takes those and breaks those and feeds the multitude. And in Mark chapter 4, verse or 6, chapter 6, verse 42, the summary statement of what happens after that miracle of provision is they all ate and were satisfied. I mean, we have a God that keeps things from wearing out. We have a God that keeps things from running out. God can do things that nobody else can do, so trusting him is always best. But not only that, here's something else God wants for us. He wants us to enjoy his reputation. In verse 12, all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land. Even today, the world marvels at the provision God has for his nation, Israel, that Malachi is speaking to. And even today, it's amazing God's favor on those who obey him and walk with him in financial principles. Back in 2005, when Bill Anderson stood up on that day and preached that prophetic and anointed message about provision, he made this statement. He said, I hope the whole world is watching because God is going to provide in a way to show what he can do. And God did do that. And people did see that. And we still call it the miracle. We don't call things miraculous unless they are. It's still called the miracle. And if you walk out the center of the exit of the worship center and go east into that parking lot, you'll see six stones in that miracle garden. And they'll always be there because it's a defining moment in the life of this church where God works in amazing ways, surprising ways, supernatural ways on behalf of our church. We love that. We love that. And we tell the story all the time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. So God wants something for us, a lot of something for us. But God also wants something from us. We wouldn't want to leave out that part. And verse 10 is where that is. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. All of this passage hinges on that one command. God says, you do that. That opens the door for all this generosity from me. That's what opens the windows of heaven for me to pour out a blessing that you can't receive. Specifically, he says, I want you to bring the first part of all the harvest or all the increase or all the pay or the first part of your check to him. God wants us to acknowledge and worship and honor him with our giving because he's the source of it all. Sometimes I wish our paychecks would not just get direct deposited or come in the mail but sometimes I wish our paychecks would just float down from heaven so we'd have to look up and wait for them and go, oh yeah, ultimately, that does come from God. But it really does. So here's what God says he wants from us. He wants us to acknowledge and worship him with that. And the amazing thing is God provides all that he has for us and asks us to keep the 90% and be wise with it, but he wants us to first acknowledge his provision with the tithe, with the tent. That's sprinkled all the way through Scripture. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and the first of your produce. Or Matthew 6, verse 33, in a text that deals with possessions and worrying about having more, he says, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Put the first things first. And the New Testament church has always had the practice of as they gather on the first day of the week, bringing the first of all that they've been given to the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, as each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. And today we practice that through whatever way we give, including a, an offering box as you leave or an offering bag as you leave. We practice that. But sometimes I forget that he asks, and all he asks is a dime of every dollar that he's blessed us with. But I should have remembered what my father taught me when I was a little boy, and that is the Heavenly Father wants us to bring the first tenth. Dad used to give me an allowance every Saturday morning of a dollar. Now for a six and seven-year-old boy, that's a lot of money. And he'd give me a dollar in dimes, 10 dimes. I always wondered why the dime. And then I realized when he gave me the, the dimes, he said, now you need to take the first dime and you need to give it to the Lord. That's just what we practice. The Bible says practice that. It was instrumental that he gave me my allowance on Saturday morning before I could spend that, dime, that dollar somewhere else. And I'd bring that dime to church the next day and put it in that offering plate. And I practiced that from the time I was six year old on. And my brother did as well. And that's what his heavenly father taught him from the text that we just looked at right here. Bring the first of all that's been given to you because God asked that from us and he has so much more that he's gonna give for us. Now I want you to have your attention on the stage and then before, in front of the stage for the next moment. I'd like to illustrate the principle that we've been talking about today. And I think it'll be helpful if you can see it with your own eyes. Because what I have is two tables here. This is your table right here. And uh, this is God's table. And um, I'm gonna make an illustration out of all this increase that I have here. So I have a lot of fruit here on this table. Can you see this fruit? There's a lot of fruit here. I think there's about 60 pieces of, of fruit on this table. Now basically, I want you to see that God provides all that you have uh, through however he does that, through work, through uh, someone giving you something else, whatever it might be, God has provided everything. He wants this for us, but he asks something from us. And basically, he asks for a tenth. I think I've got six different kinds of fruit here. Uh, and I've got these green apples. I've got some pears here. Uh, I've got this banana here. I've got a mandarin. Uh, here, I've got a peach right here, and I've got a cantaloupe here. You can see the cantaloupe, and I'm sure that everything's going to come rolling off when I pick that cantaloupe up. And I'm just going to use this to illustrate the fact that God is asking something of all that he's blessed us with, and this is that something. I'm going to take it to this table here where you are bringing this to the Lord. Six different pieces of fruit out of the 60 that you have. I just line, line them up here so they'll take up all the space they can possibly take there. And then I want you to compare what God is asking you to do. This is what God has asked us to give to him. This is what God asked from us, all right? Now, you can, you can work, break this story down in any way you want to, with any currency you want to, but in that day and time, it was the fruit of the ground. And this is the fruit of the ground. So he wants this from us. But it's not like God wants everything from us. He wants this for us. Now I want you to contrast the two there. And I want you to wonder why in the world with God's blessed us with all that, he only asked for one tenth. Why is that such a big deal? Why is it so hard for us to do? But look at it in contrast, in comparison. God wants the first in order to remind us that he gave us it all. 
and to worship him with that. I think God wants us to keep this and to be wise about how we live with it, wise about how we spend it, how we eat it, who we give it away to. And we need to listen to the Lord on all this, but we need to never forget God asks this from us, for us, and from us. You know, if, I, if I'm not careful, I begin to stay on this side of the picture, and I look longingly at that over there. I mean, I know I've got this right here. This should be enough, right? But that apple over there looks a whole lot better than this one right now. For some reason, that sometimes looks better than this. And if I were to go over there and to pick up that apple and to make it my own, I mean, if I were to bite into this, whose apple am I biting into? I'm not, I'm not biting into my apple. I'm biting into the apple that God asked for me. One time I did that and I almost bit into it and someone said, no, on the front row right here. I'm thinking, you're feeling the messages that you are. But sometimes we don't think anything about taking the money that really God asked for us and spending it on whatever. Instead of saying, no, this is the holy moment between us, God. And every time I write a check, every time I give an offering, it's an act of obedience. It's a holy moment. It's an opportunity for God to do things that he otherwise wouldn't do. Now, God will protect this more because I am following his financial principles. And if this is not enough, what does God promise to do? I will open the windows of heaven and provide for you a blessing which you cannot receive. In the illustration of my suits, there wouldn't be enough table to hold the fruit that God would pour out. And that's true of your life as well. And you can watch that unfold over the days of your life and you could be impressed, and it would affect the way you live life. It is a defining moment. You know, during that era when we uh, had that big giving emphasis for the miracle, there was a little lady that has since graduated to heaven. And uh, she actually wrote this story out. And uh, I had just a conversation with someone that was very close to her. But here was her testimony, and I want you to listen to it. She said, I don't have a problem paying tithes, but the last part of the last year, 2003 and four, was having a challenging time making ends meet. The devil kept coming at me and saying, you know, God would understand if you use your tithes to do something else with. God doesn't expect or want you to struggle this much, et cetera, et cetera. Several weeks went on in that pay period. I doubled my tithes to the church. This is, she's writing that. The very next weekend, there was an announcement at church that for that month only, the church was asking the entire church to consider doubling their tithe. That would have been that tough time that I was talking about. She said, how about that for a confirmation from God? I had done this for about five months, double tithe, when I received a check in the mail that was more than double for all the tithes I'd paid since I'd paid double. Wow. The money I received was mineral rights on a land I had owned for years and, of course, then the value of that land was starting to skyrocket. The next month, I received a check for $2,000. I was so shocked, I kept looking at the check. I know you can't outgive our God, but this was crazy. The most I have received is $19,000 a month, and that's just so much for a little single female that God takes care of. Now, I heard this from another person, and they told me this lady told her this. She said to this other friend, if this keeps up, I'm going to have to get me one of them their financial advisors <laughs> for the future. Trust me now in this, the Lord says. If I can't pour out a blessing that you cannot receive. Now, this is real life stuff. We're not making stories up here. 
I still have seats in my closet. I still remember that sovereign life uh, insurance check. My wife and I talked about that the other day. The testimony of this woman will live on. That debt is still gone because of people that just trusted God. What he wants from you is to get you to the place where you can experience what he wants for you. And what better day to begin doing this than today? Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. I want you to stand with me for a moment if you would. I'm gonna pray a concluding prayer in a moment. Before I do that, I wanna encourage you to do one of two things. First of all, I wanna encourage you to stop by a decision station. It may be that you need to make a spiritual decision today and we are here to help you with that. And we have people that are standing at those decision stations by the time I close in prayer. Stop by, talk to them if you would. Secondly, I would, I would invite you, if you're a guest, to come to our guest reception room just outside the center exit doors across the hallway. I'll show you those six miracle stones and I'll tell you a little bit about that story. But next, I wanna ask you and challenge you to test God, try him. You know, that sounds awful arrogant for a pastor to say, test God, except for the fact that God has already said that. Amen. Test me. See if I won't prove to you that I can open the windows of heaven and provide for you a blessing you cannot receive. Let me just tell you today, this is gonna be one of the greatest defining moments that you'll live with for the rest of your life. And the residual effects of that are gonna affect other people as well in a positive and a powerful way. Trust God with your giving, but trust him with your life. Father, in Jesus' name today, I am so very thankful that you do what you say you'll do, that you provide the way only you can provide, that you will demonstrate that you're faithful. And Lord, in this room, I know there are people that are calculating in their mind the challenging financial picture they have, and, and I understand what that's like. I've been there as well. But Lord, in the end, nothing is better than trusting you. And I ask you today to give us the ability and the courage to trust you. Father, there may be some today that need to trust you as their Lord and Savior, which always comes first. Give them today the ability to do that. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.